This teaching comes to you from the team at St. Mark's, Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. The first reading is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verses 12 to 32. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Then the Pharisees said to him, You are testifying on your own behalf. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, because I know where I have come from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is valid. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is valid. I testify on my own behalf, and the Father who sent me testifies on my behalf. Then he said to them, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither, my, neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while he was teaching the treasury of the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not come yet. Again, he said to them, I am going away and you will search for me, but you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. Then the Jews said, Is he going to kill himself? Is that what he means by saying, Where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that I would die in your sins. For you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am he. They said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Why do I speak to you at all? I have much to say about you and much to condemn. But the one who sent me is true. And I declare to the world that I have heard from him. They did not understand that he was speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will realise that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own, but I speak these things as the Father instructed me. And the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what is pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed him. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Hear the word of the Lord. Good morning. The second Bible reading is from Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Paul said, Finally, beloved, whatever is true, 
whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray as we look once more into the letter of uh, letter to the Philippians. Almighty God, we thank you for your holy word. <clears throat> May it be a lantern to our feet, a light to our paths, and strength to our lives. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Now, in chapter 3 of Philippians, Paul makes a remarkable direct declaration to the Christians of Philippi. He says, our citizenship is in heaven. Now, Philippi was a wealthy and patriotic town, often favoured by the emperor, whose people could call themselves Roman citizens. Many of them were veterans of the emperor's campaigns, and they had all the rights and privileges that went with that. But the Christians were starting to feel the tension between their new identity in Jesus Christ and their belonging in the emperor, in the empire. Paul, himself a Roman citizen, was in chains in Rome. The Christians were expected as a matter of civic duty to participate in pagan rituals that would demonstrate their loyalty to the city. The murmurs against them that they were a disruptive influence threatening the peace and prosperity of the town had no doubt started. So, Paul says, your citizenship is in heaven. And now this message was to be a comfort to the Philippians, but also a disruption. If citizenship of Rome gave you legal protection and status backed by the emperor, then how much more did this heavenly passport protect you? It was a sign that no matter what could be thrown at you, the Philippians had the Lord of heaven and earth in their corner. But it was also a message of comfort, but also a message of disruption for those who were too comfortable with the nice lifestyle and status that life in Philippi afforded them. The taverns, the baths, the forum, the theatre and the temples... We know all these things were in Philippi because we've got the archaeological ruins. You can go and visit them even today made it a place of culture and luxury. This was a great place to live. But the Christians had to remember not to think that this was the place to which they ultimately belonged. Their temptation was to set their minds on earthly things, fine dining, real estate, a good education for the kids, the holiday by the coast or maybe overseas. There are many parallels between life in Philippi and life in the eastern suburbs of Sydney. And as Christians, the tension for us in living here is very similar. Our citizenship is in heaven, which means that we won't simply conform to the expectation of our neighbours. Sometimes they're going to consider us the bad guys, people who are disloyal to what is commonly considered loyal and moral. We'll be afraid to admit that we are Christians for, be, for fear of being ridiculed and despised. Today's critics of Christianity argue that its teachings are not so much illogical, but immoral. But just as often, we will have nested quite comfortably amongst the pagans. Our heavenly citizenship won't be noticeable from anything about us. 
It will be like membership in a secret society with a secret handshake. So Paul argues that conformity to the world is not an option for us. Our heavenly passport comes with a different way of seeing the world and a different focus. And let's not fail to hear him. The biggest threat to Christianity in Australia right now is the worldliness of the church, is the church that's forgotten its identity. Brothers and sisters, we are too attached to respect and pleasure and money. These are the valium that keep us docile and bland that will lead to the disappearance of the church or its irrelevance in the next few decades. But what's the alternative? What does living as a citizen of heaven look like? If we're not to conform to the world, does that mean we should escape it? Sometimes Christians have read it that way. Might our heavenly citizenship mean withdrawing from ordinary society and setting up a separate, purely Christian society? Isn't secular society so hostile to a properly Christian way of life that we need to leave it and start afresh somewhere else? After all, hasn't God marked this world for demolition? So let's have nothing to do with it. Let's go and separate. Now, there's been radical examples of this separatism throughout Christian history, from the monastic movement of the early Christian era and into the Middle Ages, to the Puritans who left Europe for the New World in the 1600s, to the fundamentalist movement of the 20th century. But Christian escapism can also just mean an attitude of giving up on the world, not caring what happens to this world because you're on the way to the next. It's an understandable impulse. Perhaps you're just sick of all the wrangling and division and shouting and factions that mark our world, and you'd rather withdraw into a comforting, holy huddle. You can make the church your total world and heaven your only focus making everything you connect with and engage with exclusively Christian. Christian friends, Christian books and Christian bookshops, Christian news and Christian news outlets, Christian YouTubers, Christian TV, Christian schools, Christian music, Christian radio stations. strange thing about the modern world is that we can do this. We can withdraw into our cocoons of familiarity while still living side by side with people who are entirely different, but without ever having to engage them. And this is certainly possible for Christians as much as for anyone else. Sadly, Christians have been particularly prone to following conspiracy theories in the last few years because we've been used to the habit of mistrusting anyone but Christians, even when those Christians don't know what they're talking about. Now, you might think that Paul is on the side of escapism. You might think that Jesus is too. Jesus says that his kingdom is not of this world. And Paul, after all, had toyed whether it was better to die and be with Christ or to remain alive for the sake of the Philippians. And he was a very strong critic of the corruption and the corrupting influence of the world. He wants us to see, he wants all Christians to set their minds on things above, to look upwards and forwards not to be entangled with the things that are around us. We are not to be fixated with earthly things. We are to remove ourselves from their grip on us. But in verse 8 of chapter 4 of Philippians, he says these words, Whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, 
If there is any excellence, and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. It's a very strong word, that word think. Think about means here contemplate or consider, invest in, meditate upon, fill your mind with, make the pattern of your mind filled with these things. So what are these things? What are we to consider? Now Paul is not talking about abstract concepts here. It's not as if he's telling us, as Plato, the great Greek philosopher, would have to consider abstract, eternal forms of good things. Honour, truth, justice, purity as concepts and ideas that float somewhere off in the sky. Paul is drawing our attention to whatever is actually and really these things. Tangible and concrete instances of truth, honour, justice, purity and so on. Where to find these things in the world in which we live. Whatever is excellent or praiseworthy and to give our minds to them. Why is that? What good will it do? It's because whenever we think about these things, we will necessarily think of God and hope in Christ. When we think upon these things, we will necessarily think of God and hope in Christ. When we contemplate those things that are true and honourable, just and pure, pleasing and commendable, we are reminded of our created intention, what we were made for, and our future destiny, what we are saved for. The world was created by God and he created it. Do you remember his verdict upon his creation when he looked upon it? He said that it was good, 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 good and very good. And although much of what we see around us now is hellish, we can also see the goodness of the one who made it, that it is still there. We are reminded of the loving care that he put into the world and the way in which his beauty filled it and still fills it. We can see his grace in sustaining it, in, in not allowing evil to dominate it and completely destroy it. We also reminded, though, that we are, we are expecting this world to be redeemed and transformed. And this is a key point. Our salvation is not an escape from this world, but a transformation of it and of us. Our heavenly citizenship is not a promise that we will go to heaven, but if we read Philippians chapter 23, verse 20 and 21, if we go there, you'll see that we're expecting Jesus to come to us. Heaven will come to us. Jesus is not going to take us to another home after he's demolished this one, but he is coming to transform and renew this world, including us and our bodies, to be like his glorious resurrected body. He is coming to reconcile all things in heaven and on earth to God the Father. Not just everyone, but everything will be ordered to him. Everything that mars and scars it now will be put to rights. Every molecule and every mollusk, every atom and every continent, every plant and animal and rock will be as it was meant to be. Everything that has existence will be gloriously new and will point to Jesus Christ. God's will will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And so when we contemplate what is true and honourable and just and pure, 
we are looking at the things that anticipate the way everything will be. Just as the first buds of spring herald the full glory of summer, I hope as you've been walking around, you scented the, the plants that are trying to bring summer to remind us of the summer to come. So the goodness of heaven is poking through and coming to life all around us. All is not lost. However dark the night, the rays of the dawn announce the coming of the day. The brilliant colours and the happy chatter of the rainbow lorikeets, the majesty of the Moreton Bay figs, older than white settlement here in Australia, the tingle of the cool surf on your skin down at Bondi, the taste of truffles and cheese and wine and blueberries and rye bread and chilli and rare steak, the glint of the sun on the harbour, the power and drama of the southerly buster, the smell of a newborn baby, the beauty and resilience of the human body, that feeling you get after exercise, the Sydney Symphony in full flight, the genius of Johann Ertzen's opera house, and the fact that the harbour bridge adorns this wonderful natural harbour, the gifts of true friendship and human love that we are rediscovering now, the extraordinary miracle of civic order and peacefulness that we enjoy in our country, the victory of justice and equality over injustice and tyranny where we see it, the telling of stories and jokes, the ingenuity of human technology, medicine and science that alleviates suffering and improves the quality of life for millions of people. All these are but a foretaste of what is to come, of what is promised. They are still there from the creation and they are messages from the future to us. This is the reign of Jesus Christ who one day will be all in all breaking through. For one day there will be no falsehood. There will be no dishonouring and demeaning of people. There will be no injustice and abuse of power and people will not degrade themselves in impurity. This is what's coming, says Paul. And so he says, notice where it is starting to arrive. Think about these things. Concentrate upon them. Cultivate them. Invest in them. Make them happen. Understand them for what they are. And because of this, we are not given over to the things of the world as if those things are all there is, but neither are we to be escapists. We are to be those who have the eyes to see what is truly good and beautiful in this world and to give it our applause and to cultivate it because these true, just, noble and pure things point to the way the world will one day be. So think on, discern and do these things. What do you think about? What fills your resting mind? If you ever find rest, what fills your contemplation? What do you dream of? What do you imagine? What do you think? Paul's response to living in the world in which we feel the tension of our heavenly citizenship, a world in which we may be anxious and frightened, as no doubt the Philippians were, his response is not to avoid the world as an evil place, but to find where it is good and to fill our minds with that. So make it the habit of your mind to embrace what is true and honourable and just and pleasing and commendable. 
Give your mind to these excellent things because they represent the deeper reality of the world God made and, the prom- and that he promises to renew. Develop a taste for what is excellent and praiseworthy by exposing yourself to these things. You know how you develop a taste. You practice these things. You practice exposing yourself to these things and you become, you become aware of what they really are. Cultivate in yourself the ability to point to the ways in which these things point to Jesus Christ. Do you give your mind a chance to free itself from the shock and horror of the news? Do you make space for yourself to be free and clear of the way in which advertising affects you remorselessly with envy, tempts us to think that we don't have enough and that our lives will be complete if only we have the right cardigan or shoes or whatever it is? Do you Clear yourself of the banality and emptiness and shallowness of much of modern culture. As never before in human history, our minds are under assault day and night, all the time, 24-7. We learn about pornography from sorry, we learn about sex from pornography, and we learn our ethics from reality TV. Where in your life is the alternative vision? Have you stopped to consider the things that you know are most true, most just, most honourable and pure? If you have time this afternoon, sit down with a pen and paper perhaps and go through them. Note down things that you know in your world that are true and honourable and just and pure and commendable, praiseworthy. Have you caught yourself as you contemplate these things and reminded yourself that this is first how things were meant to be and secondly how things will one day be. Now this may be particularly important for you if you're in a profession where you are confronted on a daily basis with evil and suffering. If you're immersed in what it, all that is worst in human life. If you work perhaps in the law or in social work or in government or in health or if you've been in the prison system. A Christian lawyer said to me just this week that Paul's words in these verses had special power for him when he had to run a child abuse case. He had to see all that is worst and dishonourable. He was reminded to look at the way in which God is tracing the future into the world. But if this life is all there is, then there's a sad wistfulness about our glimpses of goodness, isn't there? Because they must pass away. Aussie songwriter and atheist Tim Minchin writes in his Christmas, his kind of would-be Christmas carol, he writes this, I'm looking forward to Christmas, though I'm not expecting a visit from Jesus. I'll be seeing my dad, my brothers and sisters, my gran and my mum. They'll be drinking white wine in the sun. But because we are expecting a visit from Jesus we can also look forward to white wine in the sun as something that itself looks forward. Its delight is not merely ephemeral. Its delight is a promise of more joy to come. But what is pleasing and commendable, true and just? How can we tell? 
these categories do seem open wide. Paul doesn't particularly give us much shape to them, much content here, though he is confident that these things are not just a matter of individual taste. Now, I do think he's got something here. We too easily have fallen for the nonsense that there's no objective truth, that, there's no, that morality is only subjective, and there's no such thing as ugliness or beauty. Part of Paul's point is surely that the world we live in still tells of God's goodness and truth and beauty, that these are objective and these eternal things. These things are written into the creation itself, not merely matters of our taste and perception, and that we can work out these, what these are if we think about them enough. But it's also the case that sin dulls our perception of these things. If we're not careful, we can easily call, find ourselves calling evil good and lies the truth and ugliness beauty. We can find ourselves admiring the efficiency of Hitler's final solution or the bravery of a corrupt cop like Detective Sergeant Roger Rogerson. What we learn from the Bible ought to be our reference point here to learn what is true and honourable and just and pure. The character of God, as we learn it from Jesus, our humble Lord, is the measure. He is, after all, the truth. In him we see divine justice. We see and we receive true purity and holiness. We see an example of what is honourable and excellent and pleasing to God. Not only, not only should these, those things that we think of remind us of Jesus, but it is thinking about Jesus that shall give us the measure to know that what we are thinking is truly beautiful, really true, and absolutely good. We think of things that he did, his character, and what he was like, that he heals the woman with the flow of blood, he makes the paralytic stand on his own two feet, he makes the blind man to see, the deaf man to hear, he raises the, wooden, the widow's son he casts out demons. He has compassion on the crowds, for they are like sheep without a shepherd. He provides food for those who have none. He eats with tax collectors and sinners. He welcomes little children. He teaches love for our enemies and then loves his enemies by dying on the cross for our sins. He is the living model of whatever is true, honourable, just, pure, pleasing and commendable. So think on him. And lastly, don't just sit there in contemplation. Paul wants us to practice these things. Not only are we to recognize the traces of the kingdom of heaven in the world, we are called on to underline them where we see them and to sketch new ones in. God is building a great new city. We are to start building it now, to find the pure and the just and the true and to make more of it. For those of us who work then? Is this what your work does? Are you helping this world to be more like the kingdom of heaven with what you do and how you do it? Is that what you've given your life to do? Is it true of what you do with your investments? Or are you happy to invest in work that scars the earth, the earth and exploits workers and produces products that enslave people? Or can you use that power to make the, more, the world more like the world it will one day become. For whatever we see around us that is true, that is honourable, that is just, that is pure, that is pleasing, that is commendable, whatever is excellent in any way, 
is but a foretaste of what God will one day do by the power of the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.